of the lineup and i was just sitting out the back by myself kind of like reflecting on on the day like yeah. saying it's been a pretty shit day but yeah. at least i've been able to come for a surf at yeah. least i've been able to you know talk to a mate and kind of have a bit of a debrief yeah. stuff like that as like, it was kind of this real cool moment where i was like oh, at least i've like got this to as a positive in the day yeah. and like i was actually looking back towards the beach sun was kind of just starting to go behind yeah um the clouds just above the mountains there so it was just before it was about to set um and that's when i got hit from my right side by what felt like a bus yeah um i got thrown off my board and before i could actually figure out what had gone on i was trying to look around and look down there's a shark biting my leg I got the trauma notification. Yeah, I think the back came in about ten to nine, mm -hmm. um, and it uh, basically was saying that you know um, there was a healer inbound um, from the south coast. Um, we had a um, twenty-two-year-old male um, who was bitten by a shark about seven p.m. Um, he had a large degloving injury to his left thigh. Like I can remember everything from you know, the shark, the feel of the shark skin as I was trying to like hold it away. Sure. Um, you know, the the fact that there was no sound was a strange thing to me because mm -hmm. I know I was like screaming for help. Yeah. Um, you know, even the look in its eyes, like there's no emotion in its eyes. It was just kind of like two round, you know, dots. Yeah. And I think for for me, like that image of the shark. A lot of people I think would think is a terrifying image and, yep. and it probably was in the moment yes but for me I, I think of that image and it kind of just gives me a strange amount of respect for sharks like yeah, yeah. I, I can picture the shark in that moment and appreciate how good they are at what they do yeah well there's more than 400 species of sharks and only 30 that have been documented to attack humans. And out of them, only four species that are like the well-known ones to attack humans. And sharks are super essential to all the ecosystems they're in. They kind of act as like the teacher in a classroom, you know, they're very much so important to the reef, the open ocean, anywhere that they roam. Detect a heartbeat. They can feel a human heartbeat through the water, which is pretty incredible. As you know, like human body's pretty fragile, especially yeah. when a shark's holding onto your leg. So when I pulled away from it, it just separated this large chunk of my leg yeah. from my body. This uh, left uh, thigh, the gloving, so he had um, exposure of his um, femur and there was quite significant muscle and tissue loss. Mm. Uh, it was pretty confronting. Um, Have you seen anything like that before, Kate? Uh, I don't think at that at that time, no. Um, it was, yeah, my first shark attack. And that was the thing that I was focused on. I was like, don't look down, just focus on trying to get back to the beach. Wow. Yeah, so that was like so one of... a lot of fight, almost like, hey, yeah. if I look down, it's all going to go south. I exactly. Just need to get to the beach. Yeah, so that was that was my one, one and only focus, and I just tried to swim as hard as I could towards the shore. Um, and I probably got like... 15 20 meters in and i had this thought kind of come over me i wonder if this shark's going to come back a second time the biggest thing people need to realize is if you've been in the water at the beach in australia you've probably been in the water with a shark welcome to the ed gym now we're going to get on to the day so you're a obviously keen surfer and it's good to get that context in 
interpact. You know, if you love it, you're in the water. Um, run me through your day, like leading up to this event, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, and it's the thirtieth today, so it's kind of the same same <laughs> yeah. day. So. Same, same vibes. Yeah, um, same vibes. So the the day itself, it started off super early in the morning, like two a.m. I got a call from. So I was working at a surf shop up in Thoreau at the time. Yeah. And I got a call from my boss saying the shop had been broken into. So that's how my day actually started. Well, um, he obviously was like, "Well, there's not much you can do now. Like, just you know, come into work like normal. You like, yep. we'll, we'll deal with it when you get here." So my my day was basically just spent like cleaning up broken glass and talking to police and trying to figure out what had happened with with the shop break in. Like, they stole a bunch of stuff from the front of the shop, and like it was you know, not not the ideal day. No, nah, you're just like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, so that, that was pretty much my day was just dealing with, with yeah. the shop break-in, um, which, you know, when I have a bad day, usually what I do is to, you know, go for a surf to kind of wash it off. Yeah. Like, especially when it, you know, the day was so consumed. It was all just about yeah. the break-in and trying to sort out everything. What there. did they steal? What did they take? That sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so dealing with all of that and, you know, I kind of just wanted to, to clear my head of, yeah. of that and kind of wash off a bad day. So... Uh, when I was driving home from work that day, I called my good friend Joel and just said, you know, what are you doing? Are you keen to go for a surf at Bombo? I think there's a pretty good bank up north yeah. end there. And um, he's a school teacher, so he was finishing. Always free. He's always free. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. School teachers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he was like, yeah, cool, I'll, I'll meet you down there. Um, school teacher's always free in the afternoon, but if your school teacher mate is like, my mate he's always late so yeah he's he was there a little bit after me so <laughs> my school mates always late too teacher yeah yeah can i that's you mate always freaking late yeah <laughs> you gotta call him out yeah you gotta call him out yeah um so yeah i just called him and said yeah i'm gonna go for a surf you can't wait for him no 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 i don't wait for him. like i've, <laughs> I've learned like I, I lived with with joel before like i I'd learned that you know if you're gonna do something tell him you're doing it and then just go just and, and act like he's not gonna come as well because yeah. sometimes if he's late like you'll either rock up late or just not rock up at all so yeah, okay. um so i was like yeah I'm just, I'll, I'll let him know just yeah. so i've i've i'm being a good mate i'll tell you i'm going for a surf yeah, but that's where I'm going. Yeah, yeah but that was pretty much it <laughs> and i was surfing for like 40 minutes before he finally rocked up oh so, wow yeah that's that's the levels of of lateness, of lateness sort, of, sort of at but it turns out like he was um he was supposed to be spending the afternoon with his his partner aggie like they were going to go spend some time at the river and yep. then joel was like hey can we go for a surf and she was like okay i'll, I'll go chill on the beach there it's a nice nice afternoon what a legend yeah Jeez. which i mean like lucky that joel came but also lucky that that his partner aggie came as well yeah. aggie you're a freaking legend yeah yep. definitely <laughs> yeah so you paddle out. What's it surf looking like? Really fun. Yeah. Um, you know, it was sunny sort of though? Sunny. Yeah. Nice sunny afternoon. Yep. Like kind of, so it was in March. So, you know, the water's still fairly warm, mm. long afternoons. Like it's, it was a really, really nice afternoon. The waves are fun. Yep. Um, there was kind of a lot of people surfing right up in the North corner. Yeah. Um, I don't usually like surfing with, you know, a heap of people. So yep. there was a little bank sort of 150 meters further down that, yep. that I was just surfing by myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Joel paddled out there and we were just sharing a few waves. We were just surfing this fun little left, which was, which was good. Like, and we were sort of chilling together for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, just, just trading waves, just going back and forth. Yeah. It was actually really, really fun. Yeah. Wearing a wedding? Yeah. Yeah. Long arm, sh- or short arm, long leg. Short arm, long leg. Yeah. Love short arm. 
Yeah. Something about it, eh? Yeah. It's the summer already. It is, yeah. Yeah. So that's that was that's always still been my go-to. Still getting sun on the arm, but not like, you know, the legs are still warm. But it turns out you just get a terrible tan. Yeah. <laughs> like, what does that do? Yeah, yeah. It's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. So you trade waves, chatting. Yeah. Jolly Pella, his, his um, girlfriend sitting on the beach. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She's just cruising. Yeah. Um, like I said, we are probably surfing for like 30 minutes. Yep. Um, Joel had caught a wave. He was right down the end of, of the lineup, and I was just sitting out the back by myself, kind of like reflecting on on the day, like yeah. saying it's been a pretty shit day, but yeah. at least I've been able to come for a surf. At yeah. least I've been able to, you know, talk to a mate and kind of have a bit of a debrief, yeah. stuff like that. As like, it was kind of this real cool moment where I was like, oh, at least I've like got this to as a positive in the day, yeah. and like I was actually looking back towards the beach. Sun was kind of just starting to go behind yeah um the clouds just above the mountains there so it was just before it was about to set um and that's when i got hit from my right side by what felt like a bus yeah um i got thrown off my board and before i could actually figure out what had gone on i was trying to look around and look down there's a shark bite in my leg wow yeah split second split second like happened so quick before i could even yeah even register what what was happening mentally before you did yeah. yeah okay and like at that moment, I was just frozen. Like yeah. I was not reacting to the shark bite. Like I wasn't doing anything. I was just kind of right in that moment, which for me, and I'm sure a lot of people you talk to with you know critical incidents, that moment where time slows down to the point mm. of stopping, like that was, was me in that moment yeah. where like right then and there, there was nothing else really going on except for me just trying to process what was happening, which was, I think... Like I, I look back on the whole incident and I can remember a lot of real vivid things. And yep. I think because of that time slowing down, like I can remember everything from you know, the shark, the feel of the shark skin as I was trying to like hold it away. Um, you know, the, the fact that there was no sound was a strange thing to me because mm. I know I was like screaming for help. Yep. Um, you know, even the look in its eyes, like there's no emotion in its eyes. It was just kind of like two round you know dots and i think for for me like that image of the shark a lot of people i think would think is a terrifying image and and it probably was in the moment yes but for me i I think of that image and it kind of just gives me a strange amount of respect for sharks like i i can picture the shark in that moment and appreciate how good they are at what they do yeah and it's a strange place to get that respect like from being part of the food chain i suppose yeah dude but I think that's something that's added to the way in which I, I view sharks now, which is okay. a, in a positive way, because I think it could easily be looked at the other. But, you know, seeing how good they are at doing what they do, like as an apex mm. predator, is a pretty incredible perspective and one that I don't think is lost on me. But all those tiny details, like in that moment where, where time slowed down and, and stopped is kind of the the main imprint i think in my memory mm. have and, you always had respect for sharks like yeah always... like it's not something i've always been scared of but i've always been wary about yeah you know if like i've always kind of asked myself like what would you do if you got bitten by a shark yeah, okay. it's kind of a strange thing like i don't know like you surf if that's something that you've thought of before yeah. like it's kind of in a weird way i'd already come to terms with it before it had happened because mm. for me like one of the first thoughts that i had was like especially when I eventually pulled away from the shark, which was you know the only thing that I could have done yep. of 
before I get to that, like I'm sure a lot of people, if you're listening, like a lot of people, are like oh, if you're getting bitten by a shark, like poke it in the eyes yeah. and punch it. I'm like that's that's a thought that came across my mind. Yes. I tried to punch it, but you can't punch through water. Yeah, <laughs> like that for me is is um you lose all power. Yeah, in yeah, water. it's like a slap. Exactly. So that that kind of led me to my one and only option, which was to pull away from the shark and. Yeah. As you know, like human body is pretty fragile, especially yeah. when a shark's holding onto your leg. So when I pulled away from it, it just separated this large yeah. chunk of my leg yeah. from my body. And when that happened and I kind of knew that that was bad, and I think this goes back to me coming to terms already of what it would be like to be bitten by a shark. The first thing that came to my mind was the advice that Bethany Hamilton yeah. had given to people okay. which is she was i remember when i watched her movie like when i was younger and she was saying that one of the things that helped her was she didn't look down at her arm when yeah. when she was bitten and that helped her not go into shock and that was the thing that i was focused on i was like don't look down just focus on trying to get back to the beach wow yeah so that was like so one flight of fight almost like hey yeah if i look down it's all going to go south I exactly just need to get to the beach yeah so that was that was my one one and only folks and i just tried to swim as hard as i could towards the shore um and i probably got like 15 20 meters in and i had this thought kind of come over me i was like fuck i wonder if this shark's gonna come back a second time and it was lucky i had that thought because i looked over my shoulder the second time saw it coming back and was able to put my hands out just in time to try and stop it and that's how i lost that bit of skin off my hand that was trying to hold it off the second time was that a sense of like a feeling like something's behind you it wasn't a feeling it was kind of just a thought like it kind of struck me it was like is it going to come back? Mm. And naturally you just look over your shoulder and like just in time to try and put my hands out and, and stop it. And that for me, like was one of the luckier things that, that had happened. Like there's a lot of luck that went into, you know, me surviving and being able to, tell my story like as as you know from, oh yeah i've got from like a medical pages of medical notes that you know i've trailed through bro yeah. and, and there's definitely luck yes yeah. before you get to hospital you know yeah. what i mean but you get what i mean yeah so that was another one of those pivotal lucky moments where i was like i don't know what caused me to have that thought but it helped me survive like in that yeah. moment i think a lot of it comes down to your body just naturally does these things in in those moments yes. to with the sole focus of you surviving like nothing else matters in those moments except for you trying to survive Getting the hell out of there. yeah so i was trying to hold it at arm's length for a little bit until the next wave hit us and that's kind of what separated us underwater yeah um, by the time that i'd come up i was standing up and it was probably waist deep water yeah and the next time I looked up, I had a way better sight because it wasn't the shark coming back a third time. It was actually Joel, my mate, paddling towards me as fast as he could. So could he see it from his? He he heard it first of all. Like he heard saw, it. I think he saw the big splash and then heard the scream. Yeah. Um, and he he knew straight away just from the sound that that it was something bad. And I don't know if his first thought was shark or what, but he he chose to paddle towards it, which is something that I'm. You know, incredibly grateful for because I think as a surfer or as a human being you hope in a situation like that you'll do the same like yeah. you want to be the courageous brave person but you never know how you're going to react in the those moments Julian like, Wilson Mick Fanning you, know, you want to be the, the one exactly you don't want to be the one getting pinned really you want to be the one coming yeah. over to rescue yeah you know? exactly like, but at the same time, like if Joel had made the decision to paddle into the beach because that's where the danger was, like in the water with the shark, then like that's 
totally fine as well. Like as humans, we want to... 100%. Like, <laughs> yeah, we don't know what we're going to do. Exactly. And we, can, we can talk about what we would do, yeah. but until the moment comes... You have no idea. You don't know. You yeah. can freeze. Exactly. So I'm very lucky that that's the decision that he made because I needed him to get me back to the shore. Like yeah. By the time he got to me, I didn't have my board anymore because when the shark hit me the first time, it actually cut through my leg rope and threw me off the board completely. Yeah. So he when he got to me he just asked if it was bad and i just said it's not good even though i didn't look down i just knew it was bad and at that time you know he'd obviously seen the amount of blood that was in the water yeah um he put me on his surfboard and just tried to get me into the beach laying flat yeah laying flat on my stomach so by the time we got to the beach because it took a little while we got stuck in a rip for a bit i know it's like the the worst timing i know um by the time we got into the beach, like I was completely exhausted. Yeah. Like I couldn't lift my arms up. Yeah. So Joel had to drag me up the beach, um, and then he was shouting to Aggie to go and get some help. Um, they, in in those moments, like when they got me back to the beach, Joel, like he's quick thinking then to grab my leg rope and tie a tourniquet around my leg. Is he just um, a school teacher, man? This guy's like next I know, level. I know. Well, the other thing too is Aggie, like Joel's partner, she's an intensive care nurse. Yeah. So lucky enough to have her on the beach, but she kind of knew all the right things to tell yeah. the, the paramedics and, and like she, you know, trying to guide Joel as well. And there was another person that was walking on the beach the other on the afternoon. So the next person that came and helped was also a nurse. So yeah. between Joel and the nurse and Aggie, they put I think three leg rope tourniquets two wetsuits that were tied around my leg um, just to try and stop the bleeding and from you know all reports they did a really good job of that phenomenal job yeah because they you know managed to stop the bleeding completely but like for me in those moments I can't remember them tying the tourniquets like I can't remember most of that stuff I was present but i was kind of fading in and out yeah yeah, i can just remember in that moment i had a lot of pain in my stomach yes and i kept saying like trying to get them to check like if i had any bite marks on my stomach because i thought i'd been bitten there as well yeah and when they were like no there's no no bite marks or anything there i was like well i don't know what that that feeling i found out later on that was like my organs starting to shut down yeah which kind of times in with shock yeah like i was in a lot of shock there and it times in with the thought of me being like I know it's a serious moment. Like I know, mm. like without looking down, I know it's bad just based on what other people's reactions were when they were coming up to kind of help. And trying to stay calm through that's difficult. Yeah. But you've got to kind of have some sort of assessment for yourself. And for yeah. me, the the number one question is like, you know, does this is this what it feels like to die? Mm. So, phrase I've said a lot of times because I think it's pretty poignant. Like for for me to have that feeling, like I don't know many people that have truly asked themselves that question because not many people i think a are in that situation or a are in that or b are in that situation actually survive and remember what that feeling was like Mm. did you ask yourself that out loud or is that an internal just an internal thought yeah Yeah. So so just ask that and for me as there was something weird about that that moment like it although i knew it was serious i knew although you know i think for me not knowing you know what was going on with those pains in my stomach was probably a good thing because something didn't feel right about the situation like it didn't feel like i was dying like i don't know what that's meant to feel like but it just didn't feel right so 
I just told myself that it didn't feel right and that I could only really focus on, you know, what I could do in that moment, which was basically just breathing. Yeah. So I was just trying to stay calm and, and yep. focus on my breathing. I kind of just tried to focus on my breath as much as possible. Yep. Um, at that point, there, there was a lot of people that were around me on the beach. Yep. Um, like all the people that were surfing had come in. Yeah. And I just remember seeing faces of people that I knew. And you knew because you're like... You're like, you're yeah, like I, I knew, I knew everyone that was that was surfing that afternoon. So as each person was coming over, like for me, just trying to stay calm, I was just seeing them being like, "Oh, hey, how you going?" Like, Dude. I think it was a trip for them because they were like, "You should be in a completely different state of mind." But that was just kind of my way of trying to stay calm was just acting normal, although yeah. it was not a normal situation at all. No. And that's kind of how I tried to stay, you know, as present as possible until more medical support got there and. And eventually, um, you know, getting into the helicopter. So I can remember everything up until getting in the helicopter. Okay. Then it's just all blank. Yeah. And it's all blank. I can just remember the, the dreams that I had between then and when I woke up. Okay. I'm going to leave Brett's case here and just sort of point out something that he mentioned. He sort of focused a little bit on the shark and he focused on how you know, intriguing they were and, the, you know, the colour of their skin and almost like how um, important they were as apex predators. I became a little bit like, wow, they are big and they are huge and they are scary. But I also became a little bit intrigued myself. And I was like, um, I want to find out more about sharks. And I got the tip off a friend saying I heard about Shark Girl Madison, Madison Stewart. So I thought, what the heck? I'll send her a message. So I sent her a message on Instagram. To my surprise, she responded and said, hey, let's do it. So now we're going to hear from Madison Stewart about sharks and a little bit more about how they operate, how they work. It's going to be cool. On your Instagram, you're called Shark Girl. Um, mm. And I can, you know, you've got that thick Aussie accent, so I know you grew up in this island, bro. Um, but why are, you called, you know, why are you called Shark Girl? Oh, because it's a childhood nickname that I cannot escape from. Yeah. Uh, so when I was really young, that was like, what I was known for because I grew up diving with sharks and then when I was about 18 I was in a documentary and they called it shark girl despite my biggest efforts to get them not to and then eventually I just embraced it and I was like screw it I'll just be called shark girl but it's based on the fact that my whole life has really been around the conservation and the interaction of shark species around the world but a lot in Australia as well. Um, but I want to know some facts about sharks. Well there's more than 400 species of sharks and only 30 that have been documented to attack humans. And out of them, only four species that are like the well-known ones to attack humans. And sharks are super essential to all the ecosystems they're in. They kind of act as like the teacher in a classroom, you know, they're very much so important to the reef, the open ocean, anywhere that they roam. Uh, all the different species of sharks are really quite amazing. Everything from small ones to large ones. The largest shark in the ocean actually only eats krill like a whale. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got every single sensory system imaginable possessed by the shark, which is there to pick up on injured, struggling fish, something weak, easy prey. So mm -hmm. they really are these fine-tuned hunting machines, but more than anything, they're like these fine-tuned panic-finding machines. Like they can yeah. detect a heartbeat. They can feel a human heartbeat through the water, which is pretty Ooh. incredible. Um, what are some myths about sharks or misconceptions about them? that people, um, you know, that are out there in the media or that you sort of, yeah. Know, yeah. 
Well, the biggest one is like, you know, everybody watched Jaws and since then we've had this massive fear around sharks and the media would definitely like us to think that shark attacks are a really insane, very possible threat. When in reality, there's an average of one death a year in Australia from shark attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really not what people think and they're definitely not bloodthirsty, mindless killers. Uh, I think a lot of people think that sharks are like seeking out humans when in reality, most cases of attacks are probably mistaken identity. And the thing is, if we think about how amazing and powerful sharks are and how good they are at hunting prey, if they really wanted to eat humans, there's no way we'd be able to surf or swim at the beach because we would get attacked. I think the biggest thing people need to realize is if you've been in the water at the beach in Australia, you've probably been in the water with a shark because they can hear you, they can smell you. They're around. They're always around us. What do you say to people that are afraid of sharks? I respect people's fear of shark as long as it doesn't turn into a lack of respect towards the importance of the shark. And I think that you really can't say anything to anyone because our fear of sharks is so primal. It's something Mm. humans are meant to have. We're not meant to be splashing around where sharks eat. We're not meant to be doing crazy stuff in the ocean where sharks are. And that fear of, of getting eaten by a shark that's like in us from instinctual primitive times. So it's difficult to go up to someone and be like, hey, don't be scared of this giant fish with giant (laughs) teeth. So, but the biggest thing I've noticed is that as soon as people meet a shark underwater or see one with their own eyes, they completely change their mind about them on their own because they Mm. realize that this animal is not out to get them and how beautiful they are. So I know you grew up in Australia. You obviously traveled during you're in Florida. What's going on currently in relation to sharks in Australia? To be entirely honest, we are probably one of the countries with the most interactions with sharks, considering how much of our population lives on the coastline and how much we love to be in the water. And at the same time, we're probably one of the most vengeful and fearful country when it comes to sharks. Mm. You go to places like Florida, there's no mention of sharks. People don't talk about it. People don't worry about it. You go to places like South Africa and they have shark spotters in place because they know that sharks are a potential threat. But in Australia, it's like they have been labeled as terrorists it's Mm -hmm. like we're at war with sharks we put up nets we put up baited drum lines we don't get taught anything about sharks that's the craziest thing Mm -hmm. you remember when we're in school and and that weird ass giraffe puppet comes and teaches us about drugs and then there's always someone that comes and teaches us about snakes and what's snake healthy harold that's him oh nightmares about that thing (laughs) that's that's like he was there to just traumatize australian children i swear so healthy harold had it covered there's always someone to talk about snakes why is no one teaching kids about sharks my gosh as australians we are constantly doing things that are so dangerous around sharks it's really a miracle more people aren't attacked so i feel like we don't talk about it enough we don't address it enough the media makes it really hard they make a huge gap between people and shark and then we've got a giant population of surfers that are witnessing and experiencing shark attacks and that's scary and that's horrific and that's something that we do need to address but I think that we just go about it the wrong way Mm. and the systems that we do have in place to protect people from sharks like the bather control the shark control program that's been unchanged for more than 30 years it's Mm. outdated technology are they doing that all across Australia the same sort of system It's actually only in Queensland and New South Wales. They trialled it in Western Australia. I'm sure you remember the shark call. And they were trying to get rid of great whites because Mm. of the amount of tax that had happened. And during the entire shark call, they didn't catch any great whites. So we've kind of seen that that system doesn't really work. So I don't know. It's interesting because 
there's one side where I want sharks to be protected, but there's also a side of me that because I've grown up with sharks and know sharks pretty well, I see a huge need for people to be like aware of the actual dangers because sharks are dangerous and I'm not saying that they're not and we share the water where they hunt Mm. and I think that we really really do need to embrace that as Australians and just be more aware of those potential dangers because that can be the difference between an incident and no incident yeah that's true The what type of shark is it is pretty high on the list, but it's probably not top three. Number like the most common question I get asked is, did it hurt? Did it hurt? Yeah. What's your response to that? No, because it didn't in, yeah. in the moment. Like as you know, like yeah. the amount of adrenaline that you have yeah. in those moments, it's yeah, you don't feel anything, and because your body just switches into trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, um, which I suppose is why you can remember all those fine details. 100%. Um, second, like more common than what type of shark it is, is how big was it? Okay, and what do you say to that? Um, I always joke with people and just say I didn't have my tape measure at the time. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I think they said in like based on the bite size, it was between like two and a half to three meters. I think, yeah. I think something like that. Um, but the third question, which relates to what we were talking about before, like a lot of people do ask me, like, what was going through your mind? Like, what was your first thoughts? Yeah. And like the answer to that is nothing. Like, yeah. There were no first thoughts because I, I was frozen in that moment and trying to process what was going on. Yeah. Um, I think the first real thought that I had on the situation that wasn't like a decision or trying to do something was like, I can't believe it's happened here. Like at this beach somewhere where I've grown up surfing. Did that hurt you? Not really. Like I think it was more just like a, what are the chances type of thing? Because you would have surfed that beach. like Surfed it so many times. And I've surfed other places in Australia, in the world where people would consider it like sharky. Yeah. Um, South Australia. Yeah, oh, I've, I've got family that live down there. Uh, I've surfed down there a lot. and Streaky. Uh, yeah, like I, I've always, that was the first thought. I, was like, I would have thought if there was a shark attack, it would be somewhere like that. Yeah. I don't know why, because yeah. the sharks are in the ocean. It's not like they're <laughs> yeah, like, it's like exactly. in South Australia. Yeah, um, that being said, I think I was the first shark attack in about 70 years in the Illawarra. Okay. So it's rare. Yeah but it's not impossible. No. Um, you know, the odds of being attacked by a shark are minuscule, yeah. and that's what a lot of people do compare it to. And when a lot of people are like, well, are you afraid of getting back in the water? Or, you know, are surfers in general afraid of going in the water? And if you look at the odds, and you know, you'd rather go for a surf than get behind the wheel of a car. Yeah. I have these conversations all the time, and as, as humans, we find it strange to be in the food chain yeah. because it's something that we escaped hundreds of years ago so it's something that we don't feel comfortable with and that's why there's a lot of people who talk about shark culling and you know there's it's not a thought of we can live alongside them in the ocean it's like we should own all of these domains despite whose home is is whose and that's kind of one of the things as a surfer you kind of have to respect that that's where sharks live and that's their environment Mm -hmm. before you before you enter the water like that's something that you you have to come to terms with um, and that's again not to say that you're going to get you know you're going to encounter a shark every time you go in the ocean because as you know you don't <laughs> like or hopefully you don't yeah so it's, it's, like, it's true it, a lot of it I think just comes down to how we're conditioned as yep. as humans to think about sharks and where, what their status is in relation to us yeah it's true eh? respecting mm. that and dude looking through your it's yeah it's interesting to sort of 
point those out. You're laying just to, to go back visually. Mm. You're on a beach. You've got your mate, his girlfriend, everyone who's come in. You've got tourniquets wrapped around your leg. Mm. You have, um, when the paramedics get there, you've got a blood pressure of 60, which is freaking low. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're tachycardic because your heart rate's trying to keep up with a really low blood pressure. Mm. Um, you were quite phasing in and out of sort of like consciousness. You're pale, obviously cold because you've been in the water. Yeah. Um, you're not looking good. The things we want to avoid in trauma is, uh, you know, obviously losing blood, which yeah. they tourniquet. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Try to keep you warm, which is something that we, you know, we try to do in trauma. We don't want to be, you know, hypothermic. It's bad. Yeah. Um, and obviously getting help really quickly, which is what they did. Yeah. Um, your friend called in, or they called in the chopper. A chopper got called in. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd that land? Just up on the hill? Uh, yeah, yeah, up on, on the headland. So I think they they took me off the beach, put me in the ambulance, and then took me up to the headland. So it's only like a 300-meter drive. Yep. Um, but yeah, they took me up there, and that's where that yep. went from. First time being in a helicopter? Yes. <laughs> Not yeah. the way you want to spend no, it. Well, it's, no, it's funny. That my... Um, my dad was was jealous because he was like, I've always wanted to go in a helicopter. Yeah. I've never been in one. And um, he, oh, when was it? It was a couple of years later. He ended up getting airlifted. He got bitten by a snake when he was playing golf Legit. and had to get airlifted to hospital. <laughs> decent snake? Like, really? Um, what is this snake bites and shark attacks? Yeah, our family's, our family's prone to it. Um Mom, watch out. Yeah, yeah, I know. We were saying, what have we got left? We've got spider and stingray left. So Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he got bitten by a snake and he was, um, yeah, he was, he was like, yeah, got to, he, got he got to join in there. He's going to make a phone call, club. mate. Yeah. Mom's going to make a phone call soon, mate, so she can get a play yeah, chopper yeah. ride. Um, okay. Yeah, first time in the helicopter and hopefully the last yeah and you were given um we were talking about this earlier you were given mm. blood products because yes. you were losing blood you had a large bite to your thigh mm. um bone visible um you've got major vessels that run down the inside of your thigh mm. um your femoral vessels which is obviously a big concern and obviously being left without a tourniquet on you would have definitely died yeah we know that um statistically and clinically um and a quick response from the helicopter team that were able to be dispatched yeah look like from the notes very quickly to get to you which is great yeah um your parents came to they were called and they came before you were airlifted out yes yeah so they they had time they live probably about a five minute drive away from from the beach yeah um so they they got the call and like i've talked to them about it and they dad can't remember the drive like it was just to get there yep. and mom was saying it's the fastest drive that she's ever had like he's he was just yeah it. yeah yeah um so they they were really really quick to get there and um it's funny like talk about those small details and me trying to stay calm uh aggie was she was like i need to call your mom um do yep. you you have your phone in the car like can you remember a number i was like yeah i remember a number and like could recall a number wow i don't know i can just remember it from when i was a kid and always had to call her to pick me up yeah so like that was another one of those small details where i it kind of yeah lends itself to how i was trying to stay calm and, yeah, and focused dude. on the little things and trying to keep my mind away from what was going on down there and you, you made a conscious decision during that process to not look down yeah more than a hundred kilometers away there was a trauma team waiting to receive brett one of those people on the team her name's kate and we're going to hear from her now in relation to what she experienced as a trauma nurse i got the 
trauma notification. Yep. I think that came in about 10 to 9. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uh, basically was saying that, you know, um, there was a healer inbound um, from the south coast. Um, we had a um, 22-year-old male um, who was bitten by a shark about 7 p.m. Um, he had a large degloving injury to his left thigh. Um, mm. They, he was um, alert in GCS 15 and he was hypotensive at systolic of 60. They had um, applied a tourniquet to his uh, left upper leg, um, giving him a unit and a half of packed red blood cells, um, some crystalloid and a bit of ketamine for analgesia. Wow. So I received, I received that at about nine o'clock. When he arrived, you know, the retrieval team um, brought him down from the, the helipad um, and we made sure we did a hands-off handover, um, mm-hmm. which I think is really important in a, a room full of people. You don't want, um, you know, that sort of uh, vacuum-like um, uh, phenomenon to occur where no one's listening because everyone's just attracted to the patient and doing things. Mm-hmm. So, so we identified that there was no major hemorrhage, so we, it was safe to do um, a hands-off handover. Um, we got him over to our stretcher and yeah, he was, I remember he was talking to us, he had a non-rebreather on, um, so we're happy with his, his airway at this point. He didn't have any, um, chest injuries. He was saturating really well on the non-rebreather. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, you know, just going through our primary survey, there was no massive hemorrhage. The tourniquet was still applied to his left upper leg. Um, and, and that was, um, either effective or, um, you know, as we found out later, it was no arterial involvement which was very very lucky um so yeah and he was a little bit tachycardic um and he was i think his systolic um blood pressure was about 90 at that point and that was post a unit and a half of packed red blood cells um he had uh ephemeral pulses bilaterally which is really important his R scan was negative he had um no peripheral pulses to his to both lower limbs though um so you know that was of concern um he was a bit hypothermic, obviously having been in the water, wet, um, you know, exposed to the elements. Um, he was quite cold um, and obviously losing some blood. So, yep. you know, I think tired of death. That's not surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, exposure, of course, he had this uh, left uh, thigh, the gloving. So he had um, exposure of his um, femur and there was quite significant muscle and tissue loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty confronting. Um, Have you seen anything like that before, Kate? Uh, I don't think at that at that time, no. Um, it was, yeah, my first shark attack and actually haven't had a shark attack since. Um, so, yeah, it was quite significant. Um, I remember thinking he was very lucky that there was no arterial involvement or bony yeah. involvement. There was no femur fracture. Um, this shark had just taken um, this massive chunk out of his left thigh. So, mm. um it was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, and yeah, I guess the things that were going through our minds was, okay, um, where do we, where do we need to get him now that yeah. he pretty, pretty stable at the time we, we kept, um, uh, kept giving him blood. I think he ended up having another four units of packed red blood cells, some FFP and cryo, um, some TXA to, you know, stop that bleeding to, um, yeah, replace the, replace the blood. Lord, yep. Which is good. Awesome. It's good to it's good to talk about those you know TXA um, you know activating MTP early, which is good because you can always re- rescind it and say we don't need it. But it's good to call it early if you have it if you have blood available in your department. Um, 
And um, I love how you sort of said it's a pretty confronting thing to look at. Um, even talking to Brett himself, he didn't want to look at it for his own healing yeah. processes. Um, he was awake. He was alert, so he wasn't intubated at this point. So, yeah. you know, reassuring him and communicating with him was also really important at the time. Um, so you've, got, you've, you've looked at it. You've seen a you know, huge degloving injury. Um, you've got a tourniquet on. You're, you're giving blood products. Um, and you've got a lot of people in the room. How do you manage that uh, with all those people in the room? Um, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, there's, there's people who have very valid opinions, um, you know, obviously um, all from their, um, from the perspective of their um, specialty. Yeah. Uh, and I think it just comes down to really good uh, leadership. You know, we had a great consultant on at the time and he, um, yeah, he was really relaxed, but um, was able to direct the team. And, um, you know, I think it's respecting um, the fact that there is a team leader and making sure that you're doing closed, closed loop communication um, so that you're relaying the information to um, the people that need to know so that they can make the decisions. Um, in recess, I guess we often do say, uh, you know, if it's getting too crowded and too noisy that, um, you know, if you don't need to be here, you need to leave or step back. Yeah. Um, so it's crowd control. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I do recall it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Uh, yeah. it, can, it can turn hectic with a, you know, a big, big case sometimes. You can't even see the patient sometimes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for sure. So I guess that you, um, so you've got him here, you've got the teams and they've made a call at, Obviously, they made the call to take him up to theatre. Yeah, um, yeah. to theatre in under an hour, okay. um, which was pretty good. Um, yeah. For improvement. But yeah. yeah. And I guess, so you, did you take him up to theatre? Did you end up seeing him the next day? Or when you went, like, you know, you take him up to theatre, you've got an hour, you're leaving your shift first. Let's just talk about that. How do you feel? Yeah. Like, you're walking out of your shift, you get back to the car, did you... Well, I, uh, I actually, because it was quite late, obviously coming to the end of my shift, I think, you know, I would have I stayed back um, uh, at least an hour. Um, yeah. And I spent a bit of time with his um, family and he had a huge, huge support from his family and friends. Um, mm -hmm. Spent a bit of time with them, checked in on them um, and touched base um, with the ICU before I left. Um, yeah, and walking back to your car is sort of like, oh, wow, you know. <laughs> That just happened. Um, it's pretty pretty confronting. I can never go. I, I always go home and I find it quite hard to wind down after something like that. So, you know, yeah. Then running through you. Um, so you know, I take the time to um, in my car on the way home, just processing um, what happened. And um, I actually the next day uh, was able to. Um, and I'm looking back at my notes now. I, I isn't that crazy practice and jotted down some notes from the case and what we did well and um, what we could improve for next time and, and lessons learned on my part as well, um, which I think is um, a really good practice to get into for anyone. So I didn't look at my leg for not until I think three weeks after. Really? Yeah. Did, did any of it just go, oh, I just have a quick sneeze? Like, you're rather you're an inquisitive in, dude. Yeah, I mean? or in, was it was it a, a mental way, process? It was, it was more of a mental thing. Like I think because there was a lot of uncertainty around what was going to be possible as far as walking again and like living a normal life or surfing, I didn't want to. I didn't want those voices to be louder for any reason. Like I think if I looked and saw right. how much damage there was, then it would have just added to the negativity of yes. those thoughts. Yeah. So for me, I, I said that it would be best if I 
came to terms with what had happened before I could focus on that. If only we could do that as a human. Yeah. Like, do you get what I mean? Like yeah. If only people could come to terms with what's happened yeah. instead of trying to move. Do you get what I mean? Like, yeah. It's a big process. Yeah. And it does, like it goes against, I suppose, who I am as a person where I like to get the information first. But yeah. I think in, in that moment, I didn't think it was going to be helpful. Yeah, a protective strategy. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember the first time I did catch a glimpse of it, like they were changing the um, the dressings on the back of my leg so they would yeah. lift my leg up and I saw, not the whole leg, but I saw the top where it was kind of stapled together. Yep. And that was pretty confronting. And then the first time I actually saw the whole wound by itself, it wasn't looking down at the leg. It was, I was going through some photos on mum's phone and she had a photo of it there. Wow. And it was like, it was really confronting in that moment. Um, and I think mum was kind of like, I don't know if that was a good thing for you to see or not. But at that point it was, I think enough time had passed where I was mm. okay enough to be like, okay, let's, let's actually see now and, and work out what everything looks like and, get used to it because it's going to be a part of me yeah and to big muscle your quad like yeah. what it does in terms of extension flexion yeah the surfing compression yeah um you know like relative lot that that muscle for you as a surfer yeah is huge like yeah. you kick you paddle you stand up i mean you're doing huge airs dude so that's got a lot of <laughs> you know what i mean that, that 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 takes a lot of your force yeah and hold your kneecap which is your knee in place so those yeah. sort of processes as well yeah so i like, yeah, like you said, big, big muscle to lose. Like beyond even thinking about what it does for surfing, it was more like what does it do for simple things like walking? Because yeah. I remember when we were trying to figure out what was going to be like realistic in the future, they were like, okay, you'll be in a wheelchair for a while. Yep. And for me, like before I had even got that news, I was kind of thinking like wheelchair for a very long time. Yep. Um, but they were like, yeah, wheelchair for a while then we'll probably get you on crutches they're like best case scenario you'll probably have like a device on your knee that straightens it out as you move forward to kind of give that action yep. of the quad of straightening the leg out yeah um which i think was probably that was above what my expectations were yeah at that time and i was like oh if i'm able to walk that's okay but yep. like obviously it's nothing like what i was before it mm. would take some adjustment um so for me it was more focusing on what that meant for just a basic way of life before I was thinking about surfing. Yeah, it's a good, yeah. It's like, who cares about surfing if you can't walk? Yeah, like, yeah. That's rude, but like you need to still like function. Exactly, yeah. I said early on that I wanted to get back in the water again. Yeah, I remember chatting with you up on the ward. Yeah. Was like that you, I used to bring up surf mags just to yeah, talk yeah. to you and I'd seen, I'd seen your wound. Yeah. Because yeah, I think uh, I got called for something and I had a look at it, but yeah. you obviously were looking up. But um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think for yeah just i was i made a decision i wanted to get back in the water more just for the symbolic reason of getting back in the ocean i was like if i'm surfing awesome if i'm laying down bodyboarding swimming whatever it is i just want to get back in the ocean because it's like as we said right at the start it's been such a big part of of my life so um yeah even beyond thinking about surfing it was kind of like let's get back to a normal way of life and then focus about the other stuff later yeah and it's good to know even pre-getting there, you had, like we talked about tourniquets, you've got mm. blood products, you've got transimic acid for everyone listening medical-wise. Um, you were obviously transported up, big cannulas put in, transported up. When you arrived into the emergency department, it's like activated trauma team, activated vascular team, mm. activated plastics team. Mate, like, we're talking about 
a lot, and this is later in the evening. Now, I'm not being rude. Like yeah. generally in hours, these cats are in the hospital. Yeah, it's after hours, bro. Yeah. So these, there's phone calls, bang, bang, bang. I think seven or six specialties are being called to, to your attendance. Yeah. Um, because this is what we do it for. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we do yeah. it because we want to. And then you're sitting there. Your parents have driven up from Bombo to the hospital. Yeah. Do you remember coming into the hospital at all? No. No. no, so for me, then like from blacking out just before I got into the helicopter, the next thought I had was just waking up after I'm guessing the first time in the operating theater where they just cleaned all the sand out and assessed it. Yep. Um, and I just remember the first thing I did or the first thought I had was I need to call in sick for work. <laughs> <laughs> surf shop. We've got yeah, to it like, like, yeah. <laughs> so I was like trying because I work did a surf shop called DP. So I was trying to like write the DP in the S yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, don't worry, man, it's been taken care of. We'll sort it yeah, out. Yeah. We'll call for you, man. Yeah, it's yeah. fine, it's fine. Yeah, so that was that was the first memory I can have. So like I said, talking and stuff, as I got to emergency, I can't remember any of that. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. it's just so funny how that blanks out of your yeah. brain because sometimes it's, I mean, they're irrelevant things, I guess, in a way. Mm. Um, but the main thing is just, the transportation to a big tertiary trauma hospital, which is awesome mm. to have all those specialties ready for you. Yeah. Um, you went to theater, they washed out your wound, the bride, anything that was available. And then you went back to a, a you were intubated, I think yeah. in theater. Yeah. Um, and then eventually you went back in again for, you've had multiple surgeries. Well, they, they, the first two were just to assess and clean sand out. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. And then the major one was on your birthday. Yeah. On my birthday. Okay. That was that was the big one. I think it was like eight hour surgery, yep. um, and that's where they they did the big operation. So leading up to that, I think the first surgery was obviously the first night I got in there. Yeah. Um, and then there was a day, and then I think the second surgery. Yeah. And then maybe two days, and then it was the big one. Yeah. So from the thirtieth of March to the third of April, which is my birthday, and that was the day that the big surgery was on. So yep. those couple of days, there was. You know, every day I was just talking about what to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember them. That's when they were talking about. You know, what it wasn't even the that conversation of can you walk again yet. It was like, what can we actually do to first of all save the leg? Yes. Because I remember the first time I heard the words amputation, I was like, this is like bad. Yeah. Um, and then it was kind of like, okay, well, not much I can really do about it. So I actually got mum to do a lot of the conversations with, yeah. with the doctors and surgeons because yeah. I didn't think it was much use talking to me about it. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for me, like, the answer's obvious. I'm like, yeah, try and keep the leg. Yeah, like, all right, <laughs> don't take my leg off. Yeah, like, yeah. Huge. Um, just, and that, that's it. Hey, it goes from, like, it's not just a, you know, you lose supply and you lose mm. lose that, you then you lose vascular child. So technically that's it. Like, yeah. You need to save above the level of where you've bitten. Yeah, which, which was you, high. Would, would you be high? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it was those those couple of days were like there was a lot of uncertainty and not a lot going on and like I was just laying in the intensive care bed and lucky enough to have a lot of visitors to come and visit and yep. kind of keep me company and kind of take my mind off things a yeah. little bit and obviously you're on a lot of painkillers and you know pretty drowsy and you know all over the place in those moments but I think there's a photo when my sisters visited me in in intensive care and it's like the first time I'd seen both my sisters in like five years but it's funny because it's 
it shows my priorities. So I got both my sisters and then there's a coffee like next to me. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had been like, can we get you a coffee? I was like, yes, yes absolutely. Yes, please do. Yeah. I need a freaking coffee. <laughs> yeah. And I'll say that's what got me through. No. <laughs> um, so those, those couple of days where they were trying to figure out what operation to do, there was heaps of uncertainty and they're like, well, I just remember mum coming back to me and, then, and she was saying they've, they've found something that they can do, but it hasn't been done yep. very many times. I yep. think you know, only a handful of times. Um, but yeah, what they ended up doing was, I mean, you can probably explain it more from a medical point That's of view, right, but, but from, from mine, yeah, I took my left lap muscle from my back and implanted that to cover the bone yep. and fill a bit of that void, um, connected blood supply and a nerve, which they're like, oh, got to keep the muscle alive. Yep. Nerve might make it work later on. Mm-hmm. And then yep. um, skin graft. So um, they took skin from my calf, like my hamstring and my hip. Yeah. And um, that was, yeah, pretty much just to tape it all together in the medical terms. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's big words in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, used, I'm used to describing it to people who, who don't have the medical background. So but sometimes that's important. Like, yeah, it's important yeah. to describe it so people understand, like, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's basically what they did. And then it was kind of just onto, onto healing from then yep. and constant checks to make sure that they... They had blood going through yeah, the muscle. Yeah, the flap hobs and stuff, which are pretty regularly, just to make sure you're actually getting vasculature yeah. and yeah. circulation. To but every sure. time they did those, I was so nervous. Yeah, because <laughs> you're like, are you, you know, are you expecting another bad news? Hey, we're sorry, the flap hasn't yeah. worked. We've got to take you back to theatre, mate. Yeah. You know? Yeah, which, yeah, every time they did that, because I think they did it like three times a day. Yeah. It was like hourly at the start, yep. and then it went to three times a day a couple of days after that. So they wake you up in the middle of the night and <laughs> you're checking on your leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're consciously not even looking down yeah. at the time. So you're For me I can just hear the the sound of the yeah. um whatever it's called that they use. Yeah. Precious um, and stuff. It's yeah. Um, and that's hard too because you're like, did you just choose to look up or get on your phone or just try to like Yeah, I just look up or yeah, okay. just look at whoever's around. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's <laughs> uh, just interesting, hey, like, you know, I, I know it's silly to point that out, but I also think it's very interesting that you're mental space was like hey i don't need to look at that yeah did you get much negative talk from people around you or was um, it generally pretty positive for, i think from the people around me like they all try and keep you pretty positive yeah the most negative stuff was the stuff that was relayed from like the surgeons of like what to expect moving forward like yeah, okay. about you know struggling to walk again and stuff yeah. but i i understand why they have to be realistic yeah correct um and can't over promise in case you can't do those things. Yeah, you said I was going to walk. Why the hell am I yeah. walking? You said I was going to have my leg. Why have I lost it? Yeah, but as as a patient, it's still hard to hear that stuff. Yeah. Um, like I, I was really lucky that I had a lot of positive people, not only from, like my family and my friends that were coming and visiting, like just people messaging me and like I, I literally had thousands of messages the first time I looked at my phone. It was like the most emotional I've ever been in my life. Well, yeah. um, but beyond that, like I was lucky to have. Um, some really cool people that were um, like actually tending to me in the hospital. Like you came yeah. and visited me a bunch of times. There was yeah. a few other people that were the nurses that were there with me all day that were just really cool people that were positive mm. and just like genuinely interested in, in me and, and wanting to get a good outcome as well. So yeah, dude. that was something that kind of kept a lot of the negativity away, Yeah, I think, because it would have been very easy to go into that, you know, victim mentality and spiral down in that way and, and really struggle. Like, and it's, it's not like I was hundred percent fine the whole time. Like no. you, you still, I would say like the, the worst thing for me, like being in hospital and like as a patient, no one likes being in hospital, but no. the three things like 
The food sucks. Yeah, <laughs> Food's terrible. It's it's cold. It's freezing, <laughs> it's freezing cold, and it's it's super lonely. Like yeah. I always say, at night times when all your support goes home, it's just you laying in a bed with yeah. the couple of people around you. Like it's it's hard to to get through those nights sometimes, mm. um, and that's probably what I struggled with the most. And like for me, it was the thoughts of like, what's the future gonna look like if yeah. I you know you go through the the what's and you know the what ifs like what if i can walk what if i can't walk what like yeah that was the hardest thing probably about that mm. but i think having a bit more positivity around me was something that definitely helped me yeah kind and of stay on the right track you had like two weeks where you're laying flat your legs your mm. legs extended out of you know like extended straight dudes are yeah. going to the toilet yeah all these things that people just don't think about yeah that become you're at the mercy of other people exactly yeah like you're so independent dude you go and do whatever you want you yeah. know you're suddenly laying there saying hey yesterday i was doing whatever i want now i have to yeah. buzz to get something like yeah. what the hell <laughs> yeah and like i see well i saw a lot of people other patients that kind of get real fed up with that and they can get and understandably like a bit short with the staff and yeah they, like yeah you've had something taken off you but for me i was always like these people are doing a pretty good job like i was yeah. i always found it funny like anytime i had to get blood thinners like the injection yeah um i'd always thank the nurse for doing it they're like why do you say thanks I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're like no one ever says thanks i'm like yeah but i feel like you need the appreciation <laughs> yeah i think you know just the mental you know yeah because we do some stuff and sometimes we go oh i don't really want to do this we hold, hold a kid down to do yeah do something on them and we you know ah oh, or you get a mental health patient who's hold them down and give them drugs. You're like, oh, this sucks. I really don't want to do this. Yeah. It's hard too to make those decisions. But yeah. You know it's going to benefit the person later on. Exactly. And that's the other thing as a patient. You don't realize all the other patients that the nurses are taking care of Yeah, as well. Like it's more than, it's, you're not the only person in the hospital. Mm. And I think that was something I tried to be conscious of as a patient. Yeah. Sounds like I'm trying to get on the good side of everyone who's a nurse no, <laughs> no, no, no. podcast. But like all these moments where they're kind of like the big leaps in my recovery all came out like out of nowhere. It's not like, oh, we're going to get you up in two days time. It was no. like, hey, it looks pretty good today. Let's let's give it a go. The physio said that. Yeah. So the those moments kind of always took me by surprise a little bit and didn't give me much time to think about it, which is good because I was always excited. It's yeah, not yeah. like I could overthink it and no. be like, well, yeah, you again, go through the what ifs. Like, what if I can't do this? And yeah. I remember the first time I, they were like, okay, we're going to get you up on your feet. They, it was the first time I actually probably sat upright for, you know, or got completely yeah. upright and had that, the, you know, I hadn't been upright. So I got dizzy and yeah. <laughs> like, maybe we should try again tomorrow. Um, I was like, I just want to try and stay. So we persisted with it, stood up for a little bit and I was like, that feels pretty good. Yep. But yeah, as, as I kind of went through those little step-by-step, step, it was like from getting upright and just standing there and they're like, okay, you can be on the big walking frame, just shuffle around the room. Yeah. And for me, I was like, as long as they're happy with me to try and do these things, I was like, I'm going to try and take it as far as I can. So yeah. it was like, okay, let's get you walking just up and down the hallway. Yeah. And then they were like, okay, cool. And then it was like, all right, you can do a lap around the ward. Yeah. And it got to the point where I was, I was kind of almost being like, well, can I do two laps? And then it got to a point where they were like, okay, you can just do as many laps as you want. And I'd just spend like half the day just oh, walking dude, around. You're always walking around the ward. <laughs> yeah. There was a video you put on the Insta, I think, of you walking down towards, and I remember that mm. vividly. If it wasn't the first image I had of you wearing the white and yeah. down with your leg, it was walking up. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was a big, that was a big turning point when I realized that there's a certain amount of your recovery that needs to be dictated by 
a professional and, and then telling you the right things to yeah. do. There's so much of it that comes down to like your attitude and wanting to be like, okay, I know they say that, said I can do three laps around the ward, but I actually want to do more. Like as long as that's okay and yeah. it's not going to cause damage. Yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> if it's not going to you know, do any damage, I'll, I'll push it a little bit. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of became a bit more of a theme to my recovery and what made me as I was able to eventually, you know, get onto normal crutches and, yeah. and kind of progress like that. I was, it was always the, okay, how can I go that little bit further to prove to myself that that's not the limit? Yeah. And that was a big part of, yeah, getting through learning how to walk and eventually doing a lot of other things. And did that come out like that, that pushing the limit? Is that like almost taken from surfing? Like, you know, you want to do something, you can take it progressively and do something um, good. Or is it just you as a person? It's like, well, I'm not just going to do half a job. Like, if I yeah. want to be good, I'm going to be better. I think it comes down to just the perspective that you get when you nearly die. Like, yeah. <laughs> you kind of say, like, you can be content with your situation, but there's a lot more out there. Like, even for people who haven't been through something life-changing, like, you can always ask yourself, what more can you be doing to make the most of it? And it's, like, a lot of people always take that in a, like, am I doing my dream job? For some reason. But it can be with anything. Like, are you doing everything you can be to be, like, the best parent that you can do like you can do that with with literally anything yeah. like if you've got your hobbies like are you doing everything you can to be the best at that and like it doesn't always have to be serious but like i always like to look at the things that i do and know that i've done everything to be successful at it yeah and a big part of it for me is it helps me rationalize failure a little bit better okay because that was a big thing for me like there was always those thoughts in the back of my mind of not being able to do it so that's yeah. kind of the failure like you may not be able to walk properly again. It's like, okay, I still have to be okay with not being able to walk mm. because that's what led me to that thought of if I can do everything that I can and fail, then it's not like the could I have done more yes. question. Yeah. So I think it just helped me kind of be okay with, with both sides of it. Like it gave me the best chance at succeeding. Yes. But also if I failed, then I'd can't feel i can't be hard on myself and you can't regret anything exactly it's like if you go and you train every possible moment you can train mm. you turn up to your event ready to go and someone beats you yeah then you go well i did my best yeah exactly there's nothing i can't sit down and go well i wish i missed that training session on friday yeah. I, wish I missed the one on the thursday i've got no regrets exactly yeah so that that was a big thing even from the early recovery that that kind of helped me mm. um the whole way through and it's something that i even do now like yeah. with with anything what do you say to people that have been through something similar to you maybe not similar because the stats <laughs> yeah, but yeah. something that's like life-changing what's your i don't know what's your uh, mantra what what do you what do you sort of say um it's what you said at the start like yeah. uh, it, it really comes down to when it comes to like what happens to us it's easy to look at the event and say like it's unlucky or it's unfair and the you know the why me side of things mm. and in some situations like it's totally fine to go through that period yeah. where where that's the thought process because sometimes like life is unfair like yeah um things can happen to people and it sucks and it's okay to feel that way but it's really what happened like what you do afterwards mm. is what matters and you know how you'll be remembered or how you can reflect on the situation mm. um like for for me i always know that the shark like that side of my story is how a lot of people are aware of me but what i want people to remember is what i did to recover like what yeah. i what i did to bounce back i think a big part of that is 
you talk about advice for other people, like the best advice that I had, um, I actually ran into Owen Wright, who's another yeah. professional surfer. He was recovering from a brain injury. Brain injury, yeah. Similar time as, as I did. And I ran into him just in Kyomer at a cafe once and was just got chatting with him and he was telling me about like his approach was more because he he couldn't do the things that he yeah. could do before. Like the, his body just wasn't letting him like the the neural pathways weren't allowing him to even paddle on a surfboard and he was finding that really, really hard. And his thing wasn't so much comparing himself to that surf that he was before. It was like, okay, who was I yesterday and what did I do today to be better than that? And it's just about not so much saying I need to get there immediately, but how can I take these small steps to get there? And I think that for for me was a big part of being able to break things down a little bit easier and probably I'd give that same advice to someone else. Yeah, and I think... the. The goalposts change. They do, like, yeah. like If the goalposts are you're running 100 metres mm. and suddenly you can't do that, you couldn't walk, it's like, well, instead of so focusing on the 100, mm. let's focus on the one metre. Yeah. If I can do one metre today, then maybe I can do two metres tomorrow. Exactly. And if the goalposts change, then, you know, then the victories change because you've got a victory at a metre. Exactly. You've got a victory at freaking two metres. You've got a victory at three metres. Yeah. And I think that's a... That's what fuels you as well to keep doing it. Because yeah. it's and all recoveries get to a point where like the the meter increase every day or to get smaller and smaller. Yeah. But it's about acknowledging that you're still improving. Yeah. And you're not gonna take these leaps and bounds every single day, but it's just about that constant improvement. Mm. And so much you can give to other people in that moment too. Yeah. Like you can give people that sense of hope. Sense yeah, of definitely. Life you know, going through trauma, the sense of giving back to your community, the sense of giving back to simple like fishery stuff. Yeah. Like you could have easily change that, but you've, you know, yeah. awareness of the ocean and what it does for you as a human. Definitely, yeah. Uh, because I was bitten by a shark and it's such a unique story, doesn't make me different to the person who goes through anything else. Yeah. Like everyone, it doesn't really matter what you go through. It, it's, yeah, it, it's kind of the themes that go between each one of those traumas or injuries or whatever it is are, are all the same for everyone. Yeah. It's all part of being a human. It is, isn't it? And they're yeah. all personal to that person. Exactly. And I think sometimes we look at, and we look at different stories and they have different weightings, but I think sometimes when you actually realise that all of them mean something to that person and affect the people around them in different ways, yeah. then the better we're able to sort of like have gratitude. Yeah. You know, like have gratitude for the dude next to you, 70 or have gratitude to, you know, someone that you've met down the street or yeah. even having gratitude just to, for what you're able to receive. Yeah. Um, in that moment, you know, you're, you're getting bad food and you're getting cold and you're getting all this <laughs> yeah. stuff, but you still got someone bringing in your coffee and saying that you're yeah. awesome. Yeah. And that stuff, you go, okay, I'll hold on to that. Good good point. Yeah. And that'll drive me through the night that's dark. 100%. So I know at 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock, I've got someone to come and say hello. Yeah. So I look forward to that moment. Yeah. Um, and that will be my goalpost when I... When I'm waking up. Yeah, that's massive. Yeah. My dad got me diving when I was really young and it was just like him and I going around and, and diving, which was awesome. So I got really in love with the ocean, but I was just immediately drawn to sharks. And I think it's just because everyone was so scared of them. And that was really cool. I like they really are the underdog. And when you see them in the water for the first time, you feel really special because you feel like you're getting accepted into this animal's home and like I feel like that's how people should feel when they're surfing as well like Mm -hmm. I love surfing so much that it's worth me 
basically risking my life and going to play in an area where great whites hunt because that's the reality of it. And wow. I feel like that love for the ocean is just what really equals it out. Do, do you think those shark things work on the board, black lines? I what do, yeah, yep. Yeah. To be honest, um, I think that's a really, really cool invention. There was two theories behind it, and one is it breaks up your outline because sharks are known to see contrast more than colors. Yes. So it helps basically disguise you and break you up as a small object. The other one is that it replicates a banded sea crate, which is a venomous kind of snake underwater that sharks avoid eating because anything that's that color is signified to be poisonous for them to consume. So there's a couple really cool theories about it. Me personally, so I've got a big yellow longboard. And yeah. In the shark world, we call yellow yum yum yellow because great whites like the color yellow for some reason. So smart me went and got a yellow longboard. Um, really? <laughs> so not that I'm ever in water deep enough where I have to really worry about great whites because I'm such a coot. I like to keep it ankle biter level. Yeah, yeah, but I spray painted a big set of eyes on the bottom of my surfboard. And it's something I've encouraged a bunch of people to do because yeah. in the shark world, they are ambush predators. Yep. They don't want you to see them coming. They hunt fast and agile things like seals. So in order to get one up on the seal, they need to attack when the seal's not looking. So mm. the best way to avoid an attack from an ambush predator is to always be looking at them. So I've got a big set of spray painted black eyes on the bottom of my surfboard and that makes me feel a little bit safer. Too on, on the ankles, those sort of things. What what's the deal with those? So to be honest, no. The only thing that works that I've uh, seen peer-reviewed science, independent science tests and to see what works is the shark shield. The shark shield is the only thing that I think is like proven to work. And I think that it's a really great thing for people to have if they're actually surfing somewhere really sketchy, surfing alone, surfing off the grid and don't have quick access to medical care. And yeah. in general, that are just like scared of sharks, definitely get yourself a shark shield. Okay, cool. I like it. I like it. I like it. If, if you're like a thrasher in the ocean, a shark's more attracted to the thrasher. Like, you know, people, yeah. they don't, don't thrash around. Are they more, are they, do they move to the thrashing thing or depends what type of shark it is? To, to be honest, like, yeah, that, that splashing movement isn't going to do you any favors. It's definitely <laughs> like you're emulating a, a struggling fish when you're yeah. like splashing around, but like, how do you avoid that when you're surfing, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, a lot of attacks, you look at what happens and there really seems to be nothing in particular that singles out the person they go for. Yeah. So it is quite difficult to pinpoint things you're doing wrong or right. When we're talking about the most beautiful sharks to swim with, um, what, what sharks are when you're in, the, you're in the water? And you talked about, you know, loving, obviously, those tiger sharks. But are there some um, really majestic sharks that you like to swim with? Because you mentioned watching a few of your videos, they're like prehistoric. You kind of mentioned mm -hmm. sharks being almost the last dinosaur, if I could use your words. Um, yeah, you yeah, ever feel sure. like that when you're diving with some sharks that like, dude, I swear I'm back in time. Absolutely. Especially with the gray nurse shark, which is like, you know, we have all over Australia. Yeah. So they're one of those species that's just like unreal to witness because they just look like grumpy old men with their gnarly teeth everywhere. Like they're so mm -hmm. cool underwater. Yeah. And they, they also like, they don't attack people. They're one of the more kind of docile species of sharks. So it's really mm. cool to have an interaction with them. The great white's definitely the most humbling. I've never been in a water in the water with a shark and felt the same as with a great white. It's just like this ultimate feeling of if this thing wanted to delete me right now, mm. it could. 
and it's very humbling. And then there's beautiful sharks like the oceanic white tip. It looks like someone spray painted them. They're so mm. pretty. All the different colors and everything. It's they're just they're just a sexy animal. Not to get too weird, but they're just oh, pretty no. damn cool. <laughs> That's cool. It's, good. Like it. it's um yeah, I love I love how you find it. I I say that about medicine. I like. I'm like, oh, this is so sexy. Everyone's like, oh gosh, it's just a heart rate. I'm like, no, it's sick. <laughs> <laughs> this man, this, like, I love this rhythm. You know, it's like oh, you're just dial. It's just I love like, what you do. Yeah, you gotta love what you do. Um, which is really interesting. You have to love what you do. You can't just do it. Um, you know, you just can't do it just because everyone else does it. There's got to be a difference. What are you doing now? Like you, yeah. To be honest, now I um I focus more on film and television. So working on like documentaries that are going to help people but I recently put all my efforts into a project in Indonesia where I'm working with artisanal shark fishermen so really like very baseline kind of close to poverty communities that are fishing sharks and I'm trying to engage their resources and their expertise in tourism so they can have an alternative income that also stops them from fishing sharks that's my main focus right now and that's all happening in Lombok and that's going really well awesome that's really cool yeah, and it's being understanding that their occupation stems from a place of necessity and just mm-hmm. really like a lot of fishing and a lot of bad things happening around the world in the ocean are socioeconomic issues. So it's just trying to make them uh, have a better job using my privilege to get them a better job so that they don't have to fish sharks because it doesn't come from a place where like they want to. Um, what, is your, what would be your message or what to other people out there that, that want to know more about sharks? You know? So... It's like they can find stuff about you. Where would they find stuff about you? Uh, all over the place, honestly. Um, if you've got Stan, a really good doco just came out called Envoy Shark Cull. And I would encourage everyone, especially surfers, to go watch that documentary because it basically outlines how the Australian government gives very little shits about people and how the shark control programs have kind of been failing us for the last 30 years. So that's a really good doco called Envoy Shark Cull. Um, and then there's all sorts of stuff online about me and on Shark Week and my own little videos that I've made myself. But the one thing I would encourage people to do is check out my website, all my podcasts, Surfing Guide to Sharks. And I'm really excited to talk to you more about this because there's a huge segment in there about first aid with shark attacks. And I think one of the biggest things that people can do if they're going to be in the water around sharks is just get to know the predator, get to know sharks. And mm. you'll be amazed how different that makes you approach the ocean. Not only do you feel more confident, but you can pick and choose situations that are going to be really dangerous and you never know, it might just save your life. And the information in there is really, really cool. If you want to learn how sharks hunt, how they look at you, what you can do and not do to increase or decrease your chances of being attacked, like all that info is in there and it's actually a really sick read. We've got Mm -hmm. a lot of shark fisheries catching sharks all around our coastline and we're getting left with the byproduct of the fins, which is the meat. So when I was young trying to figure out how to save sharks, I was like, okay, people don't care about sharks, but people care about themselves. So what avenues are there? And I was like, I've heard about there being mercury in shark meat. I'm going to test it. And lo and behold, pretty much everything I tested had a level of mercury in it higher than what's legal in australia Mm -hmm. what's what's recommended for sale and our like limitations on mercury and seafood are actually way more lenient than the usa ones so by usa standard it's like really bad so it's something that obviously you know is really bad for the human body 
Uh, it's especially bad for expecting mothers or young children. It has the ability to really cause horrific birth defects and uh, issues within unborn babies. So it's one of those really important things to address, but it's another thing that's just not, not talked about and not realized is that the amount of shark meat there is in Australia and that we could be eating it and not even realizing we're poisoning ourselves with mercury. Yeah, but something that you said, um, which was talking about the extinction, extinction of sharks, and you said the most beautiful thing I've seen and the most beautiful thing a person can do is dive with sharks. They are the last dinosaur. Um, and that really just, I get goosebumps just with that. Um, so I'm going to think of them more like the last dinosaur and the way I approach them is because we, we approach dinosaurs like they're this amazing thing that's distinct, extinct. And there's some, you know, we know the bones, we know the fossils, kids can name them all. And we've got these things that are still around and we're not really appreciating them to, for who they are. Right. Totally. And as a surfer, you know, you're, you're never going to avoid interacting with a shark. You share mm. the water with them. Yep. And I think it's time to change your view of them as predator prey and more like fellow surfer. And yeah. you can be in their environment and just hold your own and be part of it and just be aware what you're coming up against and see them as more of they're there too. And that's mm. an epic thing. Yeah, awesome, Maddie. You're a freaking legend, dude. Should, um, and how can people find you, dude? If people want to contact um, you, people want to read your stuff, um, wait for this doco that's coming out, which I'm definitely going to be looking at. Yeah. Um, um, how do they how do they do that, dude? Most stuff goes through my Instagram. Like yep. if you just search my name, Brett Canellan, um, yep. you can find it on there. Um, I've got a website, which is just www.brettcanellan.com, yep. um, which is just a, a little bit about me. But yeah, most things just through, through Instagram. Um, the film, the documentary is called Pyrophytic Film. Um, again, that's all through Instagram. We're actually doing sort of like a, a launch of the project. It'll be released at the end of 2022. You're an awesome human dude. <laughs> um, to see you, uh, you know, years down the track, to, um, it, it's powerful for me you know, mm. as a human. Just to, what you're doing, um, giving back to people, could easily be in a different way. But the way you've taken it, it's just amazing. Actually, um, I, I think. Yeah before we do finish I think something that you said earlier which is I think a really key point and a reason why I do everything that I do you said that one person like for, mm. for me I don't really care how many people see whatever it is I do or you know watch or listen to, to the things but I always say if it helps one person and you know you're the same and you agree with this then then it's all worth it yeah. and that purpose I think is something that I'm very grateful to be in this position to be able to give so um, and I think from from your perspective it's, it's cool to have someone who's seen me in all different stages of, of my recovery and you know, I respect you staying in touch and, and being able to follow along I think that's that's really cool to have as well Thanks, bro. You're a legend. Cheers. enjoy your day you thank you <laughs> I want to say thanks to everybody who listens to the EDGM this is the last episode for 2021 for the season um, it wouldn't be possible without all the awesome clinicians that I get to talk to, all the awesome patients I get to talk to, um, and also all the awesome listeners out there. Um, thank you so much. This year has far exceeded my expectations, um, and I want to keep dropping episodes um, into 2022. Um, I want to say thank you. Um, this episode was touching for me, especially um, being an ocean lover. Um, I wanted to add in some points about tourniquet time, um, however, I felt like I'm going to actually find someone, a uh, specialist in relation to tourniquets from the military who we're going to get on next year. Um, but um, for all the clinicians out there um, in relation to trauma, there's so many cool algorithms we can follow. But sometimes we need to just listen to the cool stories, um, all the people that helped save Brett's life 
from the paramedics, from his friends, the quick thinking from his friends and family, um, to the people in the hospital, to the pre-hospital retrievalists uh, and paramedics that are there, um, and also to the collective you know, social workers, physiotherapists, occupational therapists. Um, a trauma patient is a complex patient. Um, but also it was awesome to hear Madison's side of things about sharks. Um, Brett actually um, made a decision to not go searching for the shark that actually bit him. Um, and he actually wanted to, um, he has such a respect for the sharks themselves um, that he decided to just keep it as it is. And I thought that was beautiful, um, just about his um, love for the ocean and respect for the ocean. He's back in the water surfing. Um, and we're so grateful to have him back in the water. It was just so amazing to have somebody who thought like that, irrespective of the trauma he went through. Once again, if you want to listen to the podcast, um, you can look, listen to it on iTunes and Spotify. Share it with your friends. Um, follow my Instagram page at edjam underscore podcast. Also check out Madison Stewart. Um, also check out Brett Cannellan. Um Thank you so much to everyone who listens and have an awesome year for 2021. You.